0: Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through New Beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Amen. Yeah. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord God. We bless you. We thank you for the honor and the privilege to be able to come together as your children, your people. And Father, by an act of our will, we open up our hearts to you to receive from your word in such a way that it changes the course of our lives. We thank you, Father, as we continue this weekend studying your word, Father, that there's some of us, Lord God, that are going to actually change course in life, move in a different direction moving into this new season of life that's before us. and We trust you, God, that according to Proverbs chapter 3, Father, you're going to direct our path as we acknowledge you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 A couple of years ago, Dunkin' Donuts came out with a slogan, America Runs on Dunkin'. Our society today could take that slogan, tweak it just a little bit, and say, America runs on anger, and it would be totally accurate. Yeah. I don't know if this has ever been a time in our society, in our culture, in this nation, in human history, where there's been such anger fueling the lives of so many. It seems like it's all over social media content. It spews forth out of the mouths of people from all backgrounds. Yes, even some Christians can't seem to control themselves. The Bible speaks out against ungodly anger. Ungodly anger. I want you to say ungodly anger. The Bible speaks against it. We know that. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. You get, we get entangled in our souls when we hang around with people who, who are constantly displaying ungodly anger. It doesn't bless God. It doesn't bless people. James chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Are we all in agreement that ungodly anger is not good? That's not where we're going. That's not the message. Here is the message. Although we acknowledge that man's anger is ungodly, we must also realize that there is a godly anger that produces righteousness. I'm going to say it again before I go any further. Although we acknowledge that man's anger is ungodly, and I'm going to need you to really pay attention to this message. I'm going to need you to put aside a lot of preconceived ideas in order for you to receive the truth of the word as it pertains to this topic. Again, ungodly anger is a curse. Ungodly anger does not bless people. It does not bring righteousness. But there is a very big difference between ungodly anger And righteous indignation. There is a very big difference between somebody being triggered and acting in rage and the person who is honestly convicted of God to come against ungodliness and unrighteousness. I'm going to give you probably one of the best examples I can in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? John chapter 2, verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overturned the tables. And he said to those, I want you to pay attention to this. And he said to those who sold doves... Take these away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, I want you to to really pay attention here. This was not an out of control fit of rage, but a thought out response based in scripture. You notice that it was measured, it was thought out, it was a response, it was not a reaction. He made sure that they would suffer no loss. He took time to put this cord together that he was going to use as a whip. I want you to grasp this. Do not let the scriptures just go through your head without you understanding the significance of every verse and every word. It tells us Jesus comes to the temple. He observes conduct that is extremely ungodly. It is not honoring God. In fact... It's disrespectful to the place that was supposed to be a house of prayer. The people took advantage of the crowds that were coming to make profit. They were not there with the right motives. And so Jesus takes this whole scene in, and he begins to to kind of uh, formulate a plan on the inside. How is he going to respond to this ungodliness? You remember, if you're familiar with the Feast of Passover. Passover requires the cleansing of the house before the feast can be celebrated, okay? Even to this day, the head of the house will have to go and inspect, and special silverware, special dishes, special pots are brought out that are used for this time. Every cabinet, every closet, every part of the kitchen has got to be swept out, even with a feather to make sure that every crumb that might have leavening in it would be removed, symbolic about cleansing the house. Jesus comes to the temple at the time of Passover, and he sees the ungodliness. He sees the filthiness. And what's he doing? He's cleaning the house to get ready to celebrate the Passover when the Lamb of God would be sacrificed. And so with thought, he puts together this plan. He, I, I don't see him seething. I don't see him enraged. I see him putting this cord together, possibly braiding it, possibly putting it together to use to make this point. You notice that he took care. He turned over the tables. He told them to take the the um, the oxen and the sheep or or, or get them out of here. But then he turns to the ones who had the doves, and he said, take these away. Why? He wasn't there to cause them to suffer loss. You know, you see these movies, and and the, the first time I made the connection with the Scripture and saw one of the Hollywood portrayals, I went, oh, my God, how ungodly they portrayed this. They showed Jesus taking these cages with the doves and smashing them, and the doves flying away. That's not what it says happened here. So, so was he angry? Absolutely. Was he out of control? No. And you and I need to take a lesson from this, a life lesson. We can have righteous anger on the inside, but not do damage to individuals. Are you listening to me? I hope this gets, gets in clear. Psalm 69, 9, I'm going to read from the Passion paraphrase. My love for you, this is, this is Jesus' heart. My love for you, Jesus' love for the Father, has my heart on fire. My passion consumes me for your house. Nothing will turn me away, even though I endure all the insults of those who insult you. Those money changers, those people with selling the sheep and selling oxen and selling and the doves and all this other stuff were, were insulting God. And Jesus wasn't going to put up with it. Jesus was using righteous anger to set things right in the house of God. His passion was to right wrongs. It's not wrong for us to respond to unrighteousness with thought-out action, but we are never to respond with a knee-jerk reaction and just spout out anger and come against individuals and people. People are not your enemy. I'll say it again. People are not your enemy. Now... The title this weekend is anger management. It's not what you think. The real anger management problem is that most Christians have lost their anger and have become way too tolerant of what the enemy has done in their lives and what the enemy wants to do in the life of your family, in the life of your loved ones. Too tolerant. Unfortunately, many Christians have no anger to manage, and it becomes so pacified, complacent, so wishy-washy. The evil takes place right in front of our eyes and we do nothing about it. Yeah, I didn't think this was gonna go over that big. But remember this, God's anger is always directed at the enemy and the ungodliness in this world. Ephesians chapter six, we're not fighting against, verse 12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He's acknowledging there is an entire, there's a whole nother realm that you and I don't see, but we're very much affected by it. you listening? There is a place for godly anger, and there is a place for a good fight of faith. We're supposed to be fighters. We're supposed to be warriors. Why are we supposed to walk in love? We're supposed to walk in love with people. We are supposed to be warriors when it comes to the enemy. And unfortunately, the enemy goes after our loved ones, and we do nothing. The enemy goes after your family, your health, your marriage, your finances, and you don't fight. I can't stress this enough. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That, this is the same Paul who wrote the love chapter. You got this? The same Paul. is not a different Paul. The same guy who wrote about love, and we love to talk about love, and we love to read it at weddings. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. To, to which you are also called, and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul took special care to write to Timothy about getting into the good fight. Timothy was a timid young man who Paul was determined to raise up as a warrior. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, I'm gonna to read to you from the Amplified. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craving and cringing and fawning fear but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. These are the promises of God. Pastor, I just can't help myself. I just can't help. When I get triggered like this, I just can't help myself. The Bible says that you can. You choose not to. Because you don't think things out. You let things get in your in your heart and your emotions and you lash and you when you and when we lash out we lash out at the wrong individuals. We lash out at each other instead of lashing out at the spirit that tries to bring division in a household. Against the spirit that tries to bring fear into the heart of one who's been called by God. The Bible tells us that the righteous are bold as lions. Where is that boldness? Where is that spirit of the of the warrior? Where is that person who will take the sword of the Spirit and go to battle on behalf of others? God is calling at this, at this hour right now for his church to rise up, to throw off the complacency, to stop tolerating everything, and to start speaking out, and to start speaking to the spirits behind the things that are affecting all of our families and our marriages, our health, our finances, our very mental stability. Paul's message to Timothy, get a backbone, buddy. (laughs) God wants us to fight against the enemy. Our weapon is the word, the sword of the spirit. And we release the sword with our mouth. We speak, we just did when we prayed together for individuals that are in need. We release the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And remember, you have an unseen enemy. People are not your cause for anger. Uh, you don't know the people that are in my life. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my girlfriend. You don't know my, you don't know my mother-in-law. Oh my <laughs> the Bible tells us that people are influenced by this unseen realm. Go to war. Take authority over those things that are controlling them. Pastor, you don't know my kids are crazy. They're, my teenagers are out of control. They're so rebu- take authority over the spirit of the world that is trying to control them. Aren't you glad you came to church this weekend? Three things we need to understand. I need you to hear this, okay? Number one, we have an enemy. First Peter chapter five verse eight: Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion. And this is his goal. He is doing what? Seeking whom he may what? Devour. Stop entertaining the enemy. Stop opening up doors and windows of opportunity for the enemy to come in and affect your life. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit. Show me. Holy Spirit, show me. What doors have I opened? What opportunities am I giving for the enemy to come in? You listening to me? There's a scripture buried in the Old Testament we very, really like to go to because it puts responsibility on us. It says the curse without cause cannot come. I just don't know why this is happening. I don't know why it's happening either. Pray. Ask God. If you go to God with an honest heart, he'll show you. You opened up this door. You opened up that door. You let the enemy in. You've been in unforgiveness. You have bitterness in your heart. Hallelujah, we're so glad we came to church this weekend. Number one, we have an enemy. Number two, we have weapons. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to do what? Demolish strongholds. Let's go back to number one. Let's go back to number one. What well, the enemy is, is he, be sober, Peter says. In other words, open your eyes. Start thinking stably. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking what? Or who? Whom he may devour. Now, put that together with the next scripture. We have weapons that have been given to us, and they're not weapons of this world. They're supernatural. They're mighty through God. To do what? To demolish strongholds. So the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy. We have weapons that demolish what, he, what his attempt to rob, kill, and destroy. But if you don't pick up your sword, if you don't get angry, if you don't let the spirit of the warrior come upon you, you get devoured. And we have the greater one living on the inside of us. It would be different if we were just left here to fend for ourselves. When Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit, he introduced him as our advocate. He introduced him as the greater one who lives on the inside of us. The one who takes hold together against whatever's coming against your life, coming against your family, coming against your children. The enemy comes to take ransom, to take captive, to kidnap our family members. And we sit back. Number three, we are soldiers. Turn to somebody, say, "I'm a soldier." I'm a soldier. Second Timothy chapter two, verse three. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Oh, but it's hard, Pastor. Of course it's hard. The scripture says endure, endure, endure. Turn to somebody, say Indure. endure. Turn to somebody else say the other side, it's not easy. It's not easy. But, it's but it's possible. I'm here this weekend to rile everybody up. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us supernatural weapons, and they are very powerful. They pull down strongholds of the enemy, mindsets that take years to develop sometimes, and then all of a sudden we turn around and go, how did I get to this point? How did my heart get hard like this? How did I I entertain all this sin, things that I would have never entertained years ago? And it happens a little bit at a time, one seed at a time. one of the biggest problems is getting Christians. We're not talking about unsaved people. We're not talking about the lost right now. In fact, we're empowered as warriors to rescue the lost because they can't for themselves. Thank God somebody went to battle for you and rescued you out of darkness and prayed for God to make a way in your life. Jeremiah chapter 48, you really got to listen closely to this scripture. Jeremiah 48, verse 10. Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully. And cursed is he who keeps back his sword from blood. Just, Pastor, I just like I just love Christianity because it's such a loving. <laughs> such a loving religion, such an accepting religion, such a, such a, it just makes me feel so comfortable. Something's wrong. (laughs) Because Jesus got a lot of people mad. When was the last time somebody tried to throw you off a cliff? (laughs) Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from blood. Verse 11, Moab, modern-day Jordan, has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his dregs. Say that, "dregs." dregs. I'll explain to you. And he has not emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him. In other words, he's been at ease. It's not too bad. It's not really good, but it's not bad enough to incite you to action. And complacency is one of the worst enemies of the believer. It's almost like you make a truce with the enemy. He goes, as long as you don't get on fire, and as long as you don't affect anybody else's life, And as long as you don't try to really walk in these promises, I'll leave you alone. And we go, okay. He has not emptied. He's not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. In other words, it hasn't gotten really, really bad, but he's not doing too good. And therefore, his taste remained in him. His personality never changed. His character never changed. He never reflected the life of God, just floated along in life. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send him wine workers, I'm going to explain it all, who will tip him over and empty his vessels and break the bottles. This is a perfect picture of complacency. The dregs that it's talking about is the scum that accumulates on the top of wine. And if it is not skimmed off, it will settle to the bottom, and it will make the wine undrinkable. And so, that's a picture of many lives. Nobody in here, of course. They're just floating through life, not really accomplishing much, but not really living a disastrous life either. And so what happens? There's no incentive to change. There's no incentive to repent. There's no incentive to go get right with God. There's no incentive to cry out to the Lord and say, please change me. Don't leave me like this. And so just like that wine, the scum never gets skimmed off the top and it settles into that person's soul. And their personality never changes. And he says, if you don't take action, I'm going to come and I'm going to tip your barrel over. Why? Because they would not pick up their sword. There is going to be a time. In fact, there's going to be multiple times in everyone's lives you're going to have to go to battle. And most of the time, you're going to have to do it on your own. It's your battle. I can pray for you. People can help you. We can encourage one another. But you have got to pick up your sword and go after your enemy and win your battle. And honestly, you wouldn't want it any other way. So my challenge to you. Get stirred up and go after everything the enemy has robbed from you. Get stirred up and go after your family. Get stirred up and go after your, go retake your dignity that was robbed from you. Go back, get your health restored. Gain your freedom. Stop living in slavery. Go get your finances restored. Demand that the enemy return everything that he stole from you. It's a scriptural principle. He's got to bring it back seven times. Use your sword. Become a, become a warrior. Start looking for battles instead of running away from them. And listen, well, well, you know, I thought the battle belongs to the Lord. Yeah, battle belongs to him. But Let me ask you this question. If God was going to take care of all your enemies without your involvement, why did he bother to give us instructions that we should deal with the enemy? Why would he give us instruction if he was going to do it all himself? you listening to me? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not our problem. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, he's listing all the rankings of demon spirits. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. How many have ever had an evil day? How many have ever had an evil week? How many have ever had an evil year? Therefore take up the whole armor of God, which you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all, then what do you do? Stand. We don't roll over and play dead. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, the word of God, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, your revelation of who you are in Christ, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, be aware of the lost and their condition. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I'm going to teach on that soon. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with, always with all prayer, supplication, and spirit. Being watchful to this very end with all perseverance, supplication for all the saints. There's a lot of instruction we just read. Why would God give us all these weapons? Why would he give us all this equipment? Why would he give us all the instruction if we're supposed to roll over and go, oh, God, you take care of him. You, you get the devil off my back. No, you get the devil off your back. You have the authority. You've got the name of Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit inside you. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you, made you worthy to pick up that sword. My God, I hope to God your sword by the end of your life should be all dinged up, blood-stained. God doesn't want us coming to heaven with these shiny, look at, this, look at my shiny sword. <laughs> Listen, here's the message. Put your enemy in the right category, or you may begin to befriend him. Yeah, mm. I'm going to say it again. Put your enemy in the right category, or you may begin to befriend him. David and Goliath, we all know the story. King Saul is encapt, encamped across the valley from the army of the Philistines. Goliath, the giant. You know what Goliath means in Hebrew? Goliath means the exposer, the one who brings to shame. And boy, did he expose Saul and the army of the Israelites. They're all shaking in their boots. And, and, and if they had boots, I should say they were shaking in their sandals, okay? And King Saul's all the way, his tent's all the way in the back, way, way far from the, from the battle. The Goliath the giant has been taunting the cowardly Israelites for 40 days. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8 Then he, Goliath, stood up and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, listen, listen, listen to what your enemy speaks to you. Why have you come out to line up for battle? This is what he's saying to the army of Israel. Am I not a Philistine? And you the what? And you the who? Remember that because that's going to play an important part in this story. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed. You know what dismayed means? They fell apart and greatly afraid. Now, David shows up on the scene and he hears the threats of Goliath and he offers to fight the giant. First Samuel seventeen verse twenty six. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, "What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel?" Look at these next few words. My God, they're so important. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David put the enemy in the right category. He's uncircumcised. It has nothing to do with his anatomy. It has all to do with the fact that this. He's saying. David saying. Who's this guy? He has no relationship with our God. Who is this guy to defy the armies of Israel? Who is this uncertain? What do you say? is this? This guy has no covenant with God. Why are we listening to him? Why are we tolerating him? Why don't we go take his head off? All the other ones had tolerated for 40 days. They listened and they started to believe what they heard. How did Goliath describe the army of Israel? And you, the servants of Saul. Were they the servants of Saul or were they the servants of God? God. But the Israelites started to believe that they were the servants of Saul. And so they were powerless because they forgot who they were. So many Christians forget who they are. They forget that the Holy Ghost lives in them. They forget that they have the word of God. They forget that they've been delegated by Jesus Christ to use his name and take authority and fight against the enemy and go and rescue people that are still in darkness. Go heal the sick. Go open up blind eyes. Go open up deaf ears. Go heal the cripples. David was acknowledging... Goliath has no relationship with our God. Therefore he has no power against us. And being in covenant and he knew that he, David and the Israelites were in covenant with God Almighty. Now what does that mean? To be in covenant with God? Are you joking? To be in covenant with God means this. God says this, your enemies now become my enemies. You listening? That hasn't changed. Your enemies are still his enemies. When you're in covenant with someone and you're attacked, they are obligated to come to your rescue. They are obligated to support you. They are obligated to defend you. They are obligated to destroy your enemies. And David knew that. The rest of the Israelites forgot who they were. Have you forgotten who you are? And King Saul tries to talk him out of it. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Saul's saying, you can't do this. You're just a kid. You don't have any armor. You don't have any weapons. David says, listen, when I used to take care of my father's sheep, and a bear or a lion came out and took a lamb out of the flock, he said, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this, watch this now, because here's the battle, here's the battle, because if you don't start speaking the victory beforehand, you're lost already. And what does he say? Now watch this now. David's not in battlefield yet. And what has David said? The way I killed this lion and the way I killed this bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine And then Saul says to David, go and let the Lord be with you. Listen to me. Listen to me. Please, if you don't get anything else this weekend, listen to me. You have to put the enemy in the track record you've established with God. You don't let, just because something shows up that you never dealt with before, you have to have that that, that thing on the inside that rises up and say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I might be facing you for the first time, but I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear, David said. You rise up and you go, wait a second. I might not have dealt with you before, but I've dealt with your brothers. I dealt with fear and anxiety. I dealt with panic attacks. I've dealt with poverty. I've dealt with attacks in my physical body. And God restored me every single time. You listening to me? But listen, if you don't put the enemy in the right category, then the enemy tries to overtake you in your mind. Goliath had them convinced that they weren't connected to God. He had them convinced that they were connected to Saul, a a mere man, powerless, powerless. And you've got to start declaring the outcome before the battle starts. Listen, 1 Samuel 17, we're back there again, verse 40. Please, don't disconnect now. Then he took a staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones. You know the story and he drew near to the Philistine. He didn't wait for the Goliath to come to him. He drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the who bore shield went before him. He's got a little guy there with a shield next to him. Verse 42, and when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. Just like the enemy tries to do to you. Who do you think you are? The enemy will come and whisper in your mind, I know what you're really like behind closed doors. Yeah, everybody at church thinks you're so great, but I know you. And you start going, yeah. <laughs> you should do with some shut up. I don't talk to you. He disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Yeah, pretty much. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, but his gods have no power. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And the enemy says to you, oh, God's not going to rescue you this time. Yeah, he healed you the last time, but this one's much worse. Oh, yeah, he, he provided for you the last time, but this time you're on your own. Then David said to the Philistine, now listen to these words, because here's where the real battle is fought. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you, oh my God, that we would respond like this. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you, take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines. And when I'm done with you, I'm going to go after the rest of them. And I'm going to give them to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Come on, how could you just sit there? Bottom line is this, when we get angry enough at our enemies, the devil and all he does to us, then we become equipped to do battle. But remember, the battle is always won with our words before we ever get to the battlefield. David declared who Goliath was. You and I need to declare that the enemy is only a roaring lion. His teeth have been pulled out by Jesus in the resurrection. All they can do is roar. God has given us the ability. Where do you think we get anger from? It's misdirected because of the fall. It's misdirected because of sin in our life. But the ability to become angry comes from God when he created us to be used for righteous anger and righteous indignation, to stand up for what the word says, to stand up for all that's godly and to come against everything that's ungodly that's tried to pollute our families, to pollute our children, to come against our health and our finances, our marriages. God's given us the ability to get angry so that we'll use our authority against the enemy and not roll over and play dead. He wants to win through us pick up your sword, get on your knees and fight. Pray, submit to God, resist the enemy, and you watch him flee. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that everything that's been shared from your word, God, would penetrate our hearts, would bring us to the place to get stirred up, to get riled up, to realize and look back in our lives and realize, man, I've been tolerating this and tolerating that, and I've gotten so comfortable here and so complacent in this area. Father, shake us in our spirit. Cause us to appreciate the weapons of our warfare that have come to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you raise up warriors in your church. I pray that the spirit of power might will come upon us once again, Father. That we would rise up and do battle. Always in your name and always for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.